Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. One time for your mom, one time. One time for your mind doing something a little bit different uh, for you guys on this hot topic issue in the world of sports. Uh, as we want to shout out, we see Brian putting on his uh, Puerto Rican boxing hat. You got the Puerto Rican flag in the back. Uh, the day we're recording this is what would have been a Puerto Rican day parade here in New York. Uh, fortunately, all my Boricua peoples did not get to represent. So, damn uh, shame. Damn However, shame. also, also the week anniversary, two year anniversary of La Cultura, which, you know, we're working on trying to push, push and get some, get some, some places. Yes, yeah, get some more places after after a couple of years and it doing really well on YouTube. And this is the hat that I wore in the first stand up. So. Yeah, if you haven't watched that sideline stories, La Cultura, a Puerto Rican boxing story, uh, highly recommend that you do. Um, <clears throat> it is a really good watch. It is Brian's first full length, if you want to call it that, piece. That was the sideline stories. Um, so check that out. Also check out new sideline stories. Uh, will be out this week. Is out already this week. If you're listening to this at, the, at whatever time, but. One of the big topics going on in the world of sports is about the return of the NBA. NBA uh, is set to return on July 31st with training camps coming in a couple weeks. But there has been some talk from players about not necessarily uh, knowing if they want to start up and play again. Now, there's a lot. I would think we should be clear. There's a lot of concerns around this, including uh, first and foremost, coronavirus, obviously, and just how safe and everything will be down there in Orlando and the bubble. But another thing that players are talking about with everything going on in the country with the protests against systemic racism and police brutality is should they be doing this? Is basketball a distraction at this time? Um, I've thought about this a lot more and more. I have I've been hesitant about the NBA's return as much as I love the NBA for multiple reasons. Uh, coronavirus being one of them. But I will be blunt and say I'm very passionate about what's going on in the country right now. Very impassioned about people speaking up for Black Lives Matter and against police brutality and systemic racism. And I love the fight that's going on. The, the camp that says this can be a distraction, um, I think there's some validity to that. I think it's strong. I think it needs to be considered. I think that there's a time to hold a lot of these institutions accountable in terms of sports leagues. I think what we, and I'm gonna let Brian say what he has to say in this because Brian's a little more in the middle of this than I am, but I lean more to uh, that maybe we should think about not returning. Yeah. Sports leagues are basically, basically run by white men, most of the four major sports in this country. Yeah. Um, even the NBA that we love and think is very progressive. 
a lot of most of the players in the NBA are black. Uh, most of the stars in the NBA are black. I think that there are some of the black players, some of the young black players who we're hearing around this, Kyrie Irving, Donovan Mitchell, um, that maybe don't want to play because they don't feel like we should take our foot off the gas on the fight for social injustice. Of course, the people that want them to play, the owners, commissioners to some degree, they want that money train to keep rolling, man. There's a lot of money at stake in this. I acknowledge all that. But I think some of these guys are saying things are bigger than basketball, things are bigger than money. I commend them for that. I do kind of think we're at this moment where it's bigger than basketball and bigger than money. I don't think the institutions and the systems in this country are going to realize that there needs to be true change if money trains just keep rolling in. The one thing that the systems in this country haven't understood for any time or when they have done it is when they're financially impacted, this is when real change can happen. And what I'm kind of saying is maybe the NBA and some of these leagues have to also take a hit like other systems to understand that this real change needs to happen. I'm not sure still having the games and having dudes show up and wear certain t-shirts is really the most impactful thing. You know why? Because we've already seen that. And I'm not saying that those things weren't impactful. I'm just saying those things work for the time that they were in. And maybe in this time that we're in now, it's time to try something different. And I think that's what some of those players are saying. Maybe that's something different is taking a step back from sports for a while. Brian, what do you say to this? I think I just want to know what the plans would be, right? Like, with me, it's – I. a lot of people were turning this on Twitter to be a Kyrie versus LeBron thing, and I don't think it should be that because I think we could agree all the players or at least, you know, most of the players want the same thing. They want to fight for social justice. They want to fight police brutality, use their platform to do it however they please. They just probably have different ways of doing it. And again, it's the mistake of trying to pit people within the same community against one another, so to speak, and trying to pick sides of it. And you can't have these discussions on Twitter as much as people want to and they want to increase their following and they want to, you know, get the clicks and, you know, align themselves in one way because they think it's going to help their career. Like certain reporters are doing subscribing to one player's beliefs so that they think that's going to advance their career because they think that, you know, in doing so it'll pay off in the long run instead of really believing what the issues actually are. I think that between what Kyrie is basically saying that he's willing to risk it all for you know social justice um and basically saying that he thinks that the way to do it would to not would be to not play the season which is the headline that grabbed a lot of people's attention so vehemently and i think that what we need to look at also is just continue reading the chris haynes story at least he went on to say like if it's worth the risk then let's go and do it uh in terms of playing but if you're not with it, it's okay, too. We've got options for both ways. Let's just come to a middle ground as a family. And that's what I think they're ultimately going to do, and I think they're going to figure it out. I think there's a way to do both. I think there's a way where you can be very impactful and not playing and actually taking this money away from the owners. The thing is, and what NBA players are obviously considering, is they want to be financially like okay because and we're not going to cry for like NBA players who – you know, in large part are making a lot of money, but a lot of these guys are not financially secure. A lot of NBA players just got into the league within a couple of years ago, and they have a lot of family to take care of because, you know, these guys come from backgrounds because of systemic systemic racism and inequality and things like that, that they need to help out themselves along with a lot of people in their circles. So a lot of them don't have as much money as we think. And that's why we were here.
hearing about, oh, they live in condos and they don't have access to basketball hoops during the coronavirus because, you know, they're not out here buying mansions just two, three years into the league usually. So I think that I'm considering that part of it because at the end of the day, people are going to return to work at some point. But they could also be very impactful by not playing, by just eliminating all of that and making the focus whatever it is they're doing. I also think there's an avenue to where they could play they could do both. Like, you know, we, we can focus on both things at the same time if we really care about it like that. And the players really do care about this, at least large part they do. They're going to use the games as platforms to, you know, continue to raise awareness for this, be active. The money that they make, I really do believe that a lot of players will invest some of that money back into social justice. I would say that a lot of them are probably doing that because a good portion of them are marching right now as it is even risking the fact that the coronavirus is, you know, going towards a second wave or whatever the case may be. So I think there's multiple ways you can go about this. And it's kind of like with the coronavirus where we were at the point where there were a lot of ideas in the beginning on how to bring back the NBA. And they settled on one. I think that there are a lot of ideas on how to combat social justice and play or not play. And they'll settle on something. And we still have time before they have to play these games because from the time we're recording this, you're talking about another five, six weeks before they're actually supposed to start playing. They're supposed to actually head to Florida next month. And Florida right now is getting slapped up with the coronavirus. So we don't even know if they're going to be able to play games at this point. Right. So there's still a lot in the air where it's too early for me to look at it and be like, all right, we should definitively do one thing. I would like to know what the concrete plans would be. Uh, moving forward. And I also think Ami and Al Hassan raised a fair point where he said, why didn't Kyrie bring this up last week, you know, before? Uh, as somebody who's representing the Players Union, you know, that's probably something that he should have brought up sooner, but this is not to really attack one person or the other because I do think that both of them mean well, even though people are going to say that Kyrie and LeBron aren't perfect messengers. There are no perfect messengers and it doesn't matter because everyone has good intentions right now. I mean, my thing is I, I don't, I, I, my concern is with, I, I don't trust, I don't distrust the players on this. I think a lot of players, their heart is in the right place. Maybe what my distrust goes to the viewing public and also the owners on this. I understand that the bottom line in America, in the capitalist society we live in, money trumps everything. And I'm not sure, this country is not proven that they care more about the equality and justice of people overall over money. That is proven, and that's part of the problem with the system. So I think when you have some guys who might even have made some money or multimillionaires saying like, nah, forget that. This is bigger than that. There's something commendable to me about that. And even some young players like a Donovan Mitchell, he hasn't even got to his rookie extension. So he hasn't made these tens of millions of dollars. And he's like, nah, I'm, I'm, I'm willing to, to do that because something's bigger than that. There is something commendable about that. Um, I, I just think... Look, people are making hard stances right now. If they ever was to make a hard stance around something at some time, at some point in sports, this is it. And I'm not saying I exactly know what that hard stance is, but I would say as, as a diehard basketball fan, as an NBA junkie, if you told me that, hey, there's no season this year, I'm okay with that, man. If you told me the reason was because you don't feel like playing with everything that's going on in the country as a black player, I understand that because I think you made a point, Brian, about some of these guys from the socioeconomic backgrounds they have and also, you know, having to provide for families. 
you know, you know, they make these millions of dollars and do this stuff. They still got to go back and see these things in their communities. And many of us still do, no matter what we've done and what we've attained, we have to still go back and see the injustices in our communities. And I think maybe this is where people want to draw a line in the sand. And at some point, something in history, maybe you have to do. This country, we like to say that sports is a distraction. And even when people have taken stances in sports politically, people, we've seen, history has shown us people haven't always taken it seriously. Mm -hmm. Colin Kaepernick showed us that. The NFL didn't take that seriously. Um, the NBA is shown to be progressive on certain things, um, but at the end of the day, they're still a business and they still want the money to come in. So, you know, I think that's important. What I don't like is something I want to talk about on here is, and Brian, you brought this up effectively on Twitter, so I want to give you kudos for this because you brought this to my attention. It is not right for people to question the merits of black players coming out on this now. Uh, you quoted Dan Fellman, um, NBA he's writer on for NBC, and he's rightfully so. Yeah, getting getting um lit up on Twitter. And I just saw something that he said on Twitter, which is actually interesting. It's like somebody's he kind of drew breezed it, where somebody talked to him and looked like they finally got to him about what he did wrong. But Brian quoted him, and I'm trying to find your quote, Brian, for what he had said um, that I said before I get into what I wanted to um, say about with him. But you quoted him and called out the fact that what he said occurred because there are a lack of, you know, there's a, basically a lack of black and brown people covering the sport of basketball. And yeah. then you'll I just, get. And, and because he was talking about. Ky I, I don't remember what the tweet exactly was. He was yeah, talking I'm trying about, to pull that up. From, from He was talking about Kyrie and just like, you know, why didn't the players. Why didn't these players. Like, how would they have felt if they had stopped playing after Trayvon Martin, after, you know, other incidents in the past? And then I basically quote tweeted that and said, this, this right here is why we need more black NBA writers. Right. And like, this right here is the example. Because it's like, dude, you can't. So this, like, what, what are you doing? I got it. This was a tweet. Kyrie Irving and Dwight Howard ought to ask themselves, ought to. Can we please like look at the language that's there? Like they yeah. ought to ask themselves, as is this person, let's be clear, Dan Feldman is a white NBA writer. Do they regret playing basketball after Trayvon Martin got killed? Maybe they did. After Michael Brown got killed, after Eric Garner got killed. These aren't important questions themselves, but they can lead to important conclusions. Yo, what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> he said, what? wait, he said they aren't important questions. They so aren't why? important questions, but they lead to important conclusions. Dan Feldman, what are you talking about? First of all, I think it's disingenuous for you as a white person who covers the NBA to ask black players who've dealt with systemic racism their entire lives, and you've benefited from that, to then ask them how they felt about or why they continue to play after these other black men where unarmed black men were murdered at the hands of the police. What you have to understand is it's a different time today. We have come to a point, and this is kind of the point I'm making about where black players may have this feeling of not wanting to play, where black players are upset. Enough is enough. This is yeah. what we as black people are saying. And when Dan Feldman and other people make this tweet, you are tone deaf to that. You are not listening to that. And then I so appreciated Brian screenshotting that tweet because he knew he was going to cowardly delete it. And yes, I'm calling you a coward because that's what it is. You don't get to just cover sports where most of the people are black and then come in and ask these questions. Yo, you know how you get out checked on that? What you posted? 
maybe by talking to somebody that was black. Because they might have told you that. You were going a little bit on this. Or ask your black friend, hey, do you understand why these guys might have played then and not played now? Have you not seen what's going on in the country in the past two weeks to make you understand what is going on now? Like, maybe those these are things that you could have seen. And I'm just pulling up um, what he had again because Brian is right. He got roasted, and rightfully so. And, and then he tried to say that he didn't delete the tweet because there was nothing that was wrong with it. There was some bullshit he said around that. I don't even know what that was about that he was talking about. And he, does, he then does something because you saw me. I quote tweeted, tweeted this. He asked two questions. And he's put two things. He said, one, it's important to find effective ways to combat racism in our country. And he said, two, NBA players who are predominantly black earn large salaries and short careers. There's significant, which he put in all caps, downside for them not playing. And I quote tweeted that and said, well, who is it that determines what effective ways there are to combat racism? Because here's the thing for black people that he knows in this country and for athletes. If we've protested peacefully, y'all seem to have a problem with that. If people aren't peaceful with it, you have a problem with that. White people are always trying to tell black people how to deal with the oppression they face, how to mm. protest against it. Ain't nobody got time for that, bro. You just need to shut up. Nobody's got time for that. And secondly, why do you care how much these brothers make and what it will cost them significantly? If somebody says they want to take a stand that can cost them money, it is their right to decide if that's how if this is the money they want to lose. Colin Kaepernick sacrificed his career. Even though he got a settlement, he did sacrifice his career and other potential earnings he could have in this. He made a sacrifice. It's not on any of us. If Brian says to me he's going to willing to sacrifice something for it, I can't say what the value is on that and the question that. Why do you care? Then I saw something where he quote tweeted somebody where he said, well, it's not upon, it's not on, uh, upon black people to fix racism. No shit, Sherlock. It's not, man. It's on white people to be better and do that. And maybe, to Brian's point, is why in these situations, you should not necessarily have white people who are covering the NBA asking these questions about why these dudes are sitting out and why they didn't do this before. There always seems to be, I had this conversation with a friend a couple days ago, there seems to be this narrative of every time, it goes to your point too, Brian, you talked about people being divisive. There seems to be this narrative always of, if something happens now, well, why didn't this happen then? Why not this before? Why does this happen to black people in this interaction with the police? Like, nah, man, can we just talk about the issues that are going on now? We're at a boiling point. People have had enough. People have a right to express that frustration freely and stand up for what they believe in. If you have a problem with that, yo, get all the way up out of here. Yeah, those old questions don't matter. You know what I mean? Like, it doesn't matter because of the time we're in right now. Dan Feldman is just an example of like what we talk about on this podcast a lot, where this is why you need to have diversity in these newsrooms with editors and writers and the whole thing and people with hiring power who are of color, black, brown, Asian, whatever. And they can make these decisions and hire people who wouldn't be tone deaf and have these sort of sensibilities to go out and tweet that right now because I looked up, looked in his bio, saw where he writes at, and apparently he's, he writes at NBC. He's an NBC, NBA, I guess, I don't know. He writes news. I think he's an aggregator, actually. So, you know, it doesn't do much. But he's at NBC. And this is a platform that somebody else could utilize who's probably more deserving. And this is the systemic thing that happens is that 
A lot of people just get platforms just based on what they look like, who they know, et cetera, et cetera. And we're not doing, we're not, we're, we're really not doing it by resumes. We're really not doing it by backgrounds. We're really not doing it by experience. You know what I mean? We're just kind of looking out in a different way that we shouldn't be. And this is how shit like this happens because you hire somebody who's tone deaf who decides to tweet this out on a random Sunday. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not here to kill somebody just because of a bad tweet, but this bad series of tweets in particular, because it wasn't just one tweet. It was a lot. It was a lot. It mm-hmm. very doubled down, deleted the tweet, then posted a picture of why he deleted it and tried to give an explanation. The whole dance, right? It was just, th- this is, this encapsulates what's really wrong in a lot of industries as a whole. I saw a meme going around Sunday about a whole, it's a cartoon of a whole bunch of white dudes in a row interviewing a, and one one of them is interviewing a black woman saying what do you think you could provide to this company mm-hmm. you know what i mean and this mm-hmm. is how mm-hmm. that's how black women feel when they're being interviewed that's how black men feel when they're being interviewed by you know white companies that's how hispanics feel that's how uh any anybody who's not white and particularly not a white man because white women you know there's some of that as well Particularly when you're not a white man, that's how it is when you have interviews with some of these companies. You and I have talked about our experiences where we had interviews that felt like we were sort of the token uh, interview at company, whatever it was. You know what I mean? And right. now people are saying that, oh, you know, we're going to we're going to have change all of a sudden and we're going to do better. And it's on us and all these things moving forward. And I don't know if I believe that until I no, I definitely don't believe that until I see it. Because we're going to keep getting examples like this. I saw another example today. The New York Times, they posted this tweet. Uh, carne asada. Carne asada mm-hmm. is what I say. Carne asada fries are what happens when you take the toppings for a plate of beef nachos and put them over the cheese fries instead of the tortilla tips. No shit. Um, Esmeralda Bermudez, who we talked about on this podcast before, yes, where her, the great work she does at the LA Times, LA she Times, said, yep. Moments like this happen when your entire newsroom is only 5% Latino. And this is the shit that happens. Like, well, over and, and over. well, see, that's the same thing for, for you know, what we're talking about right here, right? The, the, the same problem is I don't think anybody believes that NBC, where Dan Feldman writes for, is going to hold him accountable for this. Is he going to be, is he going to be checked by this? Now, now, the Twitter streets have checked him to some degree, but I'm not sure he's actually learned from this. Because he's continuously double downing. Somebody told him it's not your place as a non-person of color to tell people of color how they should act about these things, how they should feel as we react. And I saw one dude tweet back to him and said, it sounds like you're really telling them to shut up and dribble. And he's saying that these are fair things to ask. And I would ask him, again, he wasn't going to respond to me because I feel like my point was too good. (laughs) Why do you care so much about these things? Okay. And yeah, why like, do you get the person to talk about how we need to have effective ways to combat racism? If if white people, how about white people, dear white people, don't be racist, man. Be yeah. better. It's it's yeah. it's it's literally that. Become more educated. If you became more educated about the history of stuff, you wouldn't have to ask Kyrie Irving and Dwight Howard why they are now feeling this way where they want to step aside from this because you know what it's all the pain that built up it's like if you have pain happening to you over and over again i can't believe i have to explain this but if you have pain that you continuously see over and over again there's gonna come a point where it's enough if somebody keeps punching you in the face 
You ain't going to just stand there and take it. So people are trying to figure out, let me be specific, black people are trying to figure out how in, while still living in under systemic racism, while still working for institutions that look the way they do, where Brian talks about 5% of your newsroom is white. That's because of systemic racism. And we have isn't to live white. and deal with that. Is it, what do you say? Isn't white. Isn't Sorry. White. 5%, if I, yeah, yeah. 5% is white. Isn't white. We have to live and deal with that and go out and deal with this every day because of this. It is, it is absolutely ridiculous. And when you have people like Feldman who are exposing themselves, and that's why I'm like, God, about this time, a lot of these folks are exposing themselves. We see you for who you are and what you think about these situations. So, no, you don't get the right to do that. It's just like myself as a woman, excuse me, as a man, does not get to question women on how they might feel about an experience of sexual harassment or if a woman chooses to take a stand on sexual harassment. It was like a, a, a friend of mine, both a friend that we know of the podcast, was talking to him the other day, and he was like, yo, this is like me saying that because I don't have uh, you know any women friends who've told me about sexual harassment, it's not acknowledging that it doesn't exist. You need to understand that when people are coming out and saying to you that these things are happening, this is why I feel this way. This is why I might want to take a stand. Yo, just stop for a second before you tweet <laughs> and try to get more followers, as Brian would say, and just yeah. think, yo, have I talked to anybody, any people of color about this, or maybe try to understand why they, why they feel this way? Like, take one time and check your mind, Dan Feldman, and maybe you might come to more of an understanding. Because I think what he said is absolutely stupid. He was cowardly for deleting the tweet and then trying to double back down and put the tweet back up. And we thankfully that people like Brian saw this and checked him on it. Now, he might not learn from that, but I'm glad it's out there for people to see. As Brian yeah, said, this is what happens when you yeah. don't have diversity covering the sport. Yeah, and that's, that's the last thing I'll say. It's just the, the companies like just stop hiring white reporters to cover black and brown issues and having them talk about black and brown, black and brown shit, period. You know what I mean? It yeah. It doesn't make sense. Because no matter how you feel, and the last thing I'll say before we wrap, no matter what you feel about whether the sport should come back or not, the one thing you don't get to do if you're a person of privilege in this country is question how black players should respond to that or what's their responsibility to protest. We have responsibility as all black people. And I'll speak, now I'm not speaking for all black people, but I'm saying what we have to do in this time which is stand up for what we believe is right, whether it's within our jobs, in our communities. And we hope that our friends, our other people of color and other allies would understand that and stand with us. And if you do, you do. And if you don't, you don't. But either way, we see where you stand. One time for your mind, one time. And one time for your mind, one time.